0: I'm Pam Evanson. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a non-conformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. All right, Pam, today we're going to talk about a really powerful topic, and I know it's one that most sales professionals don't think about. Okay. It's called poor performance triggers. Okay. So we are creatures of routine and habit. Absolutely. We have many physical routines. We have thinking routines. We have reactionary routines. (laughs) All right. We're going to talk a little bit about the thinking and the reactionary routines today. Okay. So a poor performance trigger is it is something that somebody says to us or a question that somebody would ask us, or maybe even a particular demeanor that someone comes into a conversation with or situation that we know is going to rub us the wrong way we know it's going to trigger some attachment and some scarcity. The idea around it, and I've seen this work so well, is to identify what you think your poor performance triggers are. Because you know they're out there. You cannot control when they happen, but you can control how you react and you respond. And the more you prep, the better you are going to be in that response. Okay, agreed. Now for our audience, right? We all know though, all reaction, all response comes from mindset first, okay? So there's seven really common ones now. I know as I list these, the audience is going to be thinking about some other ones. So these seven poor performance triggers, right? I'm gonna list these seven. I would love for our audience to be thinking about other ones. I know we're missing many, but these are the ones that seem to pop up all the time. So, right? Price can be a poor performance trigger. (laughs) The old, hey, I just want to let you know, we work with so-and-so. We've been with them for three years and we really like them.
1: Absolutely.
0: The old love the competition. This one. Hey, I've only got 30 minutes. Tell me what you guys can do for us. How can you save us money? How can you help? Okay. Okay. The old demeanor, right? 55% of what we communicate as human beings is body language. 35% is tone, eye contact, right? It's 90%. Demeanor is very important. Someone comes in with an off demeanor, you pick up on it. Yes. Eagerness. We'll talk about that one. (laughs) When the surprise participant comes into the meeting, the person you weren't expecting to be included (laughs) in the meeting shows up and then late to the game.
1: All very, very relevant examples.
0: Yeah. So which one do you want to start with?
1: Well, I have a really good example of the eager one from my start with you. Let's do it. So eager. When I was first starting to work here at Lappin 180, I was doing nothing but cold outreach. Dan actually locked me in a closet and I did nothing but cold call all day long. I'm not kidding folks. It was a closet.
0: (laughs) That story keeps getting more and more exaggerated every single year that it goes on.
1: So I was really excited because as you all know, listeners, you would make, a hundred calls in a day, and one person would pick up the phone. And I was very excited because this gentleman, we'll just call him John, had picked up the phone that day, and he was actually a C-suite individual. And we had what I thought was an excellent conversation about a little bit about what we do and a little bit about why I thought there might be merit in meeting. He agreed, and we set up a meeting. I think it was two weeks later. Again, in my mind, it had been a great conversation. He seemed extremely open to a discovery meeting. We scheduled it, and I went on my way. And so it's two weeks later, and I couldn't be more eager to have this meeting. I was up early that morning, prepped. I, Dan, I even remember talking to you and, and you telling me like, hey, bring it down a couple notches. This is this is a first meeting. It's okay. Just kind of temper yourself a little bit. And I, I got on the phone with him. This was before we had Zoom. Nobody was using Zoom. So I got on the phone with him. We started chatting. We had a a very nice beginning to our meeting. And again, I think I even used the words, John, I'm super excited to be talking with you today. And Dan, 10 minutes into the call, he said, and I know it was because I was so eager. He said, Pam, I just want to let you know, there is no way in hell we're going to be hiring a sales coach anytime soon. <laughs> and I, I absolutely deflated on the phone, 100% deflated. I can't remember what I said in the moment, but all I know is I absolutely showed up so eager for this call that when he said those words to me, it stopped me in my steps. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to react. And I do remember giving feedback to you that for the rest of the meeting, I just felt disappointed and upset. (laughs) (laughs) It was probably the most eager I had ever been for a meeting because it was the first official meeting I had set under Lappin 180 with my cold outreach.
0: We've all been there. Every single one of us. So look at eagerness this way for our listeners. You worked hard for the meeting. You're in the meeting and you're maybe 25 minutes in. You're doing a really good job of asking questions. You're prioritizing your learning, right? You're trying to understand the other companies, the prospects business, their priorities, and you're staying very poised and calm. Going second, maybe third level deep on some of your questions. Next thing you know, again, minute 25, they say something that you recognize that you can help them with. It's like the light bulb goes off and you're like, there it is. We can help them with that. That is the moment the eagerness starts to percolate because you just uncovered an opportunity. And when you uncover that opportunity and that eagerness skyrockets, because now you get a chance to validate yourself by sharing some kind of solution or expertise, that's the moment where Pam and I would like to see you pull back. Instead of becoming attached, which is what eagerness is, oh, 100%, and maybe a little bit of scarcity, but definitely a lot of attachment, that's what drives that feeling of eagerness right you have to remind yourself pull back hold on maybe this is an opportunity for me to ask a little bit about the past how they get to this point right maybe it's an opportunity for me to ask a little bit about the present i hear what you're saying tell me how this is playing out right now what are the different areas this is impacting maybe it's a great opportunity for you to ask about the future hey if this continues What do you risk in your business? Hey, if you decide to change this, fix this, solve this, right? Improve it. What do you gain in your business? Then maybe you can decide now's the time for me to share my idea. Now's the time to give them maybe a recommendation. But that first sign of eagerness, pull back because everybody on this, on the podcast listening knows. How many times in your career have you heard something the prospect has said, you know you can solve it, you jump to solve, and the opportunity went nowhere.
1: And even worse, like me, you're eager walking into it before the poor person has had an opportunity to utter one word to you.
0: <laughs> and if, if we haven't got our, miss- our message across yet... <laughs> I just want you to think about the most eager person going on a date. (laughs) Okay. Have that visual in your head.
1: (laughs) It's a good visual.
0: Yeah. So eagerness, there's one poor performance trigger. All right, Pam, I will pick demeanor. Okay. All right. Because, you know, 92% of what we communicate is...
1: Body language and tone. You got it.
0: You got it. Not 90. 92. Not 85. 92. 92. That's right. Yes. So demeanor, we all have certain demeanors that we struggle with. All right, for me it is the demeanor where the person is very closed. They come in, cross their arms, they it feels like they don't want to be there short kind of interactions. As you start asking questions, right, you're getting short surface level answers. That's a demeanor that I've had to learn to double down on my detachment, and double down on my high intent, because that demeanor just really kind of creates attachment or scarcity sometimes, because again, you're sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, this person doesn't really want to be in the meeting with me, but I'm here now. I know we could really help this company. So-and-so referred me in. They think I can help this company. Why is this person being so mean? (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yes. hundred percent. I think the demeanor I struggle with the most is the demeanor when they seem distracted, like they're thinking about other things rather than the conversation with me. And that's probably one, as our listeners know, that work with me. I have to really challenge myself to detach from that demeanor. For whatever reason, when I feel like somebody's not focused, I, I attach value to that in a big time way. And it's one that I've been working on for a very long time and still haven't gotten gotten to the point where I can completely detach when somebody's not focused in, in the moment with me. And I know that's a big demeanor trigger for me.
0: When you were saying that, Oh, I felt it. I actually felt it. It was like, I've been there. You go into the meeting and you're told yourself how and if that person even needs any help, whether it's me or not is irrelevant. Do they need help? And then if it's, they're a closed demeanor, they're a distracted demeanor, whatever it might be, right? I know inside me that aggravates me.
1: 100%. I attach a lot of value to it when they do that.
0: Yeah, me too. And so that's what I mean when I say sometimes though I've learned or have learned to double down on my detachment. And what that means for our, our audience is not only does it not about assigning value, right? You don't want to assign value to that person's personality, that person's mood in that situation, right? Cause it's got nothing to do with you. You have to remind yourself of that, but at the same time, doubling down on it is okay. This is my time too. I've invested here. I'm going to call this out as friendly and as kind as I can because I am their peer. And if they don't want to be here, then I don't need to be here either and i know that's a hard thing to do sometimes
1: but you've seen me do it and i've seen you do it in a very kind way and it it does make it easier to detach once you've given somebody permission that they don't have to spend this time with us right now if they've got other things that they need to prioritize we don't need a darn thing from this conversation that makes me feel much better when i offer up that Hey, Dan, it is okay. If there are other things going on right now, and this isn't a good time to have this conversation, we can end this call. And Dan, as you know, I've had several people take me up on that.
0: It happens.
1: Yeah. We had a situation here this morning and no, it isn't a good time. I'm not focused. My head's not in the game. I'm sorry. It makes me feel so much better when I give them permission to not have to have this conversation with me, but out of the gate, I get very defensive when I know they're not engaged with me and they're not focused and I attach a ton of value to it.
0: Yeah. I like your point, Pam. Um, You have to call it out. Be kind.
1: Absolutely. With empathy. Don't judge it. No.
0: Don't assume it's you, but you do need to call it out because otherwise you're going to carry that attachment and that scarcity with you throughout the entire discussion. And you're going to try to force a discussion that probably needs to be put off until that person can kind of focus more on the meeting.
1: Exactly. Or to your point, I know I don't perform well when I don't detach and give them that opportunity. And I know the rest of the meeting is me being a bit resentful that they are not focused and in the moment with me. I'm not my best self for sure.
0: And none of us feel good when those meetings are over and we've tried to force it. No. Yeah. Or you could take the other approach and try a couple jokes. Maybe that will lighten the mood. (laughs) And I know for some of you listening, you're actually going to take me up on that. Don't do it. (laughs) He's kidding. He's kidding. I'm joking. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about one more competition. How many of us have sat down and someone has said to us, hey, we already work with so-and-so or we've worked with so-and-so in the past right? And when we hear that as human beings and we've assigned some kind of value, we've labeled some kind of outcome that we hope this conversation goes well. And then we hear that we innately will feel disappointment, sometimes frustration, anxiety, hesitation, annoyance. And anytime we feel any of those things, it tells us we are attached and or scarce period and a story that's why these poor performance triggers are so important that's why we are encouraging you to try to identify yours so that you can prep for them right but in this instance Pam what would you do someone says hey we already work with so and so we've worked with so and so in the past
1: so i think there's a couple of things that i do now to your point about being a poor performance trigger in my past I absolutely would go into prove and sell mode if I felt like I was better than my competition. Oh, which by the way, 100% of the time I thought I was better than my competition. So I would absolutely, the minute I heard, yeah, we're working with so and so and we're very happy with them, I would go into a lot of leading questions. To try to get them to admit some of the downfalls of their the current person they were using. I would go into my sales mode and tell them why we're different and why that might equate to better.
0: Yeah, but Pam, they only have five coaches and <laughs> resources. We've got seven.
1: <laughs> exactly. Right? Oh, it's and I used to I used to do that all the time. I used to do
0: it all the time. They're located in Australia, <laughs> we're here local. <laughs>
1: all the time. Now I would tell you the way I would handle it when someone says, hey, we use so-and-so and we're pretty happy. I might do a couple things. If it's early in the conversation, I might say, all right, Dan, there might be a reason you decided to share that with me. And I certainly don't want you to think for one minute, I'm here to try to convince you that you should be using us. And so I'll give you permission. If this isn't a conversation you'd like to have, that's okay. I try to find out why they felt the need to bring that up. And it probably has something to do maybe, maybe with the way I've set the meeting with my upfront agreement. If it's a little bit later in the conversation, I might ask them what prompted them based on maybe what the discussion was or why maybe they feel like they're in a position where they've come to appreciate without critiquing or judging. I would probably say, well, tell me more about that. It might mean Dan that you and I don't need to talk after today. If it's a little bit later in the meeting.
0: I love that Pam. And I think another really good way to handle that is to your point, you do turn into it and you might say, what made you say that to me at this point in the conversation, what's on your mind, which I think is excellent. But then I think you can go further and say, that's absolutely fine. Tell me, what do you like about the relationship? Tell me what's working well. Yeah,
1: Sounds like you appreciate it.
0: And if you choose, you can then go to, are there things that you'd like to improve? Are there things that you're working on together? Never start with the negative though. Always start with the positive. Because if you start with the negative, you're going to put the other person on their heels. They're going to get defensive and you're going to lower the trust factor even more. But if you start with the positives and you allow this person, this prospect, to share what's on their mind and to be honest with you, believe it or not, you are building the core of trust. I don't want to get into rapport today, but there is a certain type of rapport that does build trust. And that rapport is the type that it's when we listen to people and people think that we are understanding them. People think we get them. So that's why I'm saying to our listeners, turn into it. Hey, we really like our current provider. All right, that sounds great. Tell me more what's on your mind there. What do you like? What's been the successes that you guys have achieved together? What made you choose them? What are you looking forward to using them or partnering with them in the future? Turn into it because believe it or not, again, I know I'm sounding repetitive. You're actually building trust. Cause you're allowing the other human being to speak and they know you're listening.
1: And to your point, Dan, you have to do it very authentically because you do want to understand their perception, not because you want to poke holes. You have to do it from an authentic place.
0: Yeah. So again, those are three examples that we've just broken down a bit regarding poor performance triggers. I invite all of you to sit down and see how many you can come up with and then start thinking them through. How would you handle each of them now moving forward from a more detached, high intent and abundant mindset? Because those poor performance triggers are triggering your attachment, your scarcity, and your low intent. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of the podcast, be sure to go to our website, lappin 180com Go to contact us. You can also engage with us on LinkedIn at Dan Lapin or lappin 180